0: This episode is about blockchain and government. We are joined by our, our amazing panelist, Alexander Loris from Florida, USA and Ishan Roy from Chennai, India. Welcome to Rocklass Radio, your destination for expanding your mind and igniting your curiosity. I'm your host, Tanmay Shah, and uh, I'm an NFT artist and entrepreneur with diverse business experience. Thank you for tuning in every week. If you'd like to support the show, you can become my patron. You can buy my NFTs and we are also supporting advertisements on the show. Make sure you subscribe this show and share the episode with your friends. Cheers. Let's dive in. So Ishan, Ishan and Alex, could you please give us a bit intro or a brief about yourself? Sure. Starting Alex,
1: with you want chef. to go first? Oh, you I'll go first. Yeah, that's okay. So uh, I've been working in blockchain since 2017. Uh, I started working in blockchain in the enterprise finance space. So I was working with ICSA Bank, which is India's largest private sector lender. And at that point of time, I had the opportunity to work on the first blockchain trade finance transaction. So it was ICSA Bank in India and Emirates NBT in Dubai. So since then, I've been in the space through and through, uh, both in terms of crypto and in terms of enterprise blockchain. So after ICICI, me and my colleagues at the bank, we quit and we started up and we built a Bitcoin payment gateways, we built cryptocurrency exchanges, we built a lot of uh, cross-border remittance solutions for banks using uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And uh, I had a successful exit from the startup. It was called Hashcash Consultants in 2019. Uh, Since then, I've been working primarily as a consultant with uh, several entities. So I consult with the government of Tamil Nadu in India uh, in terms of their blockchain initiatives. I also work as a consultant with various private sector companies with a few web-free startups uh, in the gaming space and the NFT space. Uh, I am a blockchain author. My book, blockchain development for finance projects is available on amazon it has sold over 50000 copies i am a part of a few blockchain think tanks such as eu blockchain observatory and forum and uh, my startup uh, which we started last year is called quantlabs and we are a metaverse and nft studio we build uh, white label metaverse solutions for our clients uh, our claim to fame so to say is uh, we carried out a metaverse durga puja which is india's largest festival on the Metaverse last year and we had a DAU of 300 users, which is you know quite incredible if you look at the numbers for the other platforms. So yeah, that's me.
0: Awesome, Ishan, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank Alex,
1: you. what about you? Thanks, it's
2: great to be here. Uh, since I was a kid, I was obsessed with math, uh, computers and uh, economics. So uh, when I found Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in 2017, uh, I jumped on board quickly. I've been investor mostly in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies since 2017, uh, and had been, you know, uh, following the news in the space since then. Uh, quickly figured out, you know, uh, quickly believed that I was the world's greatest trader, uh, and a few weeks later uh, figured that wasn't true uh, in 2017, and uh, that you know, it's a lot safer to invest for the long term, to keep your money than to trade in the short term and give away your money. So uh, I've been, as I mentioned, back to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, in 2021, uh, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I relocated to Florida, uh, basically decided to get in the space professionally. So started writing uh, blogs on Medium. I joined Twitter. Uh, I, I became an analyst for quantum <laughs> economics. Uh, and, you know, since then, the, the the ride has been fantastic. My own startup is thelatestblock.com. It's uh, independent crypto news. Uh, and I've, you know, been published in over 100 uh, articles from Forbes to Coindesk, um, you know, Decrypt, Nasdaq, etc. And I continue to uh, conduct analysis on the market, on the space, Bitcoin, uh, overall, um, economy. I've done a lot of work in the NFT space, uh, and I'm currently consulting um, two different projects. One is uh, Pointsville, an augmented reality uh, customer loyalty platform, and uh, Nervos, a proof of work uh, blockchain for decentralized apps that's uh, EVM compatible—you know, Ethereum compatible—essentially. So, uh, yeah, I, I work full time in the space. Uh, either for myself or for others. So uh, excited to be here. You know, I came for the pro- quick profits, but I stayed for the technology as I figured out quickly in
0: 2017. Wow. Alex, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So, all of us are primarily connected by NFTs and then Web3 and blockchain. So, for those viewers, let's break it down. What's blockchain and how it is important for the viewers and the government? Uh, how would you say somebody who's still not introduced or still thinks <clears throat> blockchain is Bitcoin or still indifferent to what is blockchain? How how would you explain that to them?
2: I can take that up. Or, okay, thanks. Yeah, so I think there's two different subjects here that are important. Um, in the United States, obviously, it's it's the main economy in the world. India is one of the largest economies as well. Um, I believe our government is, you know, everybody's different. I think we have more opportunity here. Um, there's the protection of individual privacy rights and using Bitcoin or their cryptocurrencies, I think is important. And then there's the government itself implementing its own blockchain solutions. So, um, whereas, uh, in my opinion, I'm from more the, um, you know, kind of, uh, smaller government kind of, uh. Perspective, Alex. Yeah, sorry, good.
0: One step back. Okay. What is blockchain at a very uh, basic or some? It said. How would you introduce blockchain to somebody who has never heard about it before?
2: So it started out with a financial use case: it's a decentralized database, essentially a really, really sexy decentralized version of Microsoft Excel. <laughs> Instead of having uh, a single attack point a single point of collapse, right? Having all your data stored in one location uh, by putting it on a distributed ledger or a blockchain, uh, you could have dozens, hundreds, thousands, or millions of copies around the world on the internet. So if you're under attack uh, through a cyber attack or equipment failure and so on, a single node or computer uh, can collapse. It's not going to affect the rest of the network. Your network can maintain its security. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the essential purpose of that, right, in terms of a blockchain. And in terms of security, of course, there are blockchains that have good security and blockchains that have bad security. Bitcoin has existed for uh, now essentially 14 years in actual operation, right? A few days ago was the, the, what we call the genesis block. The first Bitcoin was mined. So Bitcoin, which had existed in the mind of uh, its creator on a white paper a little bit earlier, 14 years now, so for a computer network to operate for 14 years, um, that's a good thing. The way a blockchain works is the larger it gets, uh, the older it gets, the stronger it gets, if it's, you know, at least Bitcoin, it's structurally proven, right? So there's other new projects that maybe uh, had not sound engineering, but essentially, if it's built correctly, this decentralized database gets stronger, the more users it has, the more nodes it has, the older it gets, the harder, it. it gets to, to uh, you know, to hack or uh, for bad actors to <clears throat> manipulate. So it exists as essentially a truth machine um, over the long term.
0: Dishan, what do you think? How would you explain blockchain to a newbie?
1: Yeah, so I because I implement so many blockchain solutions, I am a firm believer in the fact that people who will be using blockchain in the future should be agnostic to it. To them, it should be like any other tech which works seamlessly. But still, if you are, let's say, an authority or you are a government bureaucrat trying to understand how you can build more trusted systems or more reliable systems, you do need to understand how blockchain technology works. So uh, one of the interesting things that has happened with uh, businesses and civilizations uh, as it has evolved is that you have had a lot of middlemen doing a lot of works that typically intermediary will do, right? So coming back to Bitcoin or how money used to move, uh, because money used to be printed or used to be held in this private ledgers that central banks would be custodians of. If, let's say, I had to transfer money to you, Tanmay, I would need an intermediary between myself and the central bank who would sort of ascertain that I have, let's say, a $1,000 in my bank account and I'm not sort of defrauding you. And then on my behalf, it would send a message to your bank who would then tell you that tanmay ishan has just sent you 1000 dollars right and uh, we can ascertain that ishan is good for the money he has the money in his bank account even if it's in another bank that we do not know so intermediaries and middlemen used to play this role until recently i would say and still do to a large extent where they would form where they would provide this service they would become the trusted party that everyone would rely on and uh, without them, the entire payment ecosystem, or for that matter, any other ecosystem would not exist. However, uh, what Satoshi and a lot of uh, these uh, cryptographers were working with uh, Satoshi realizes that this is not a flawless system, because if you build a system like this, then the party that you're trusting has the most power in the system, right? So if this party goes corrupt, so for example, they decide to charge you a lot, uh, you know, a good chunk of change for processing your transactions or they tell you you can only send money on Mondays, you can't send it on Tuesdays, right? You're at their mercy. You don't have an option out of the system because you don't have anyone else to go to. You're reliant on the system. Uh, I mean, add to it the fact that when Bitcoin came out, uh, you had this big bailout of the banks that had failed in the subprime crisis and you can clearly make out from the post- that Satoshi and his members have done around Bitcoin, where they talk about how disillusioned they were with how the global economy and with how monetary markets were working, right? So they came up with this concept that how do we build a system where we, you do not need these middlemen, you do not need these intermediaries, yet it continues to be a trusted system. So I do not need a bank to ascertain that I have the money in my wallet. And when I send the money to you, you don't need to depend on a bank to ascertain that Ishan is good for the money, right? So that's how Bitcoin was born. That's how a decentralized system was born, where you could essentially carry out transactions or send messages to each other without relying on a trusted intermediary. Now, uh, why this is important is that while Satoshi and the people around him dreamt of this being used in payments or transfer of value, you had a, uh, a lot of visionaries who sort of you know, grouped around the idea and believed that uh, there were much more applications than what Satoshi and his team had envisioned. So the classic example is a gentleman called Vitalik Buterin. Uh, So him and his peers at this uh, organization called the Ethereum Foundation came together and realized that you can also uh, write code and build these applications that would work as they are supposed to and no one could go back and tinker the code and change it so that the end customer is uh, you know, at a loss. So the perfect example is that, uh, you know, we all pay our insurance premiums on time, but when it comes to get a claim for a hospital bill or a medical bill, inevitably in a lot of countries, you sort of get into this argument with the insurance provider, right? In terms of what is the claim that you can uh, get? How much cover will they provide you? How much money can you reimburse across your hospital bills? However, if you write a piece of code which says that these, this is the criteria and once these documents are submitted and they're verified by these these parties, the money should be disimbursed to, let's say, or if they've gone through an accident. So that code will always work like it is supposed to. The insurance company cannot go back and change that and stop that code from behaving the way it does. So that's the power of a decentralized system where no intermediary has the power to stop things from, happening like they're supposed to. And then obviously we have seen this idea being extended across the world with NFTs, like wonderful artists like you are doing. Also with DeFi, building these systems that are uh, resilient and they are not dependent on a middleman. And and you are able to carry out these uh, trades and build these complex financial systems without depending on a regulator. So that's the idea of blockchain. That's the idea of decentralization. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome points uh, mentioned by both of you couple of more points okay. that I say to whenever I'm meeting people is you don't, you don't have to trust one person or us Institute. If your data is kept in a hard disk, it, if it gets spoiled, you don't get it back. Uh, if your leisure of accounts or whatever transaction history is there with the bank, and if something happens to it, they have, we are just trusting the bank. They, they can do whatever they want. They can, switch the transaction or we won't know also what is happening. It's just because you're trusting in them, it is happening. But blockchain is a trust-less system. Uh, the, the trust is there on the technology, on the code, more than the decision makers or the institute, which is centralized or in, in one place who's there. Not even the government. So how... <clears throat> How, uh, so talking about being centralized, do you think blockchain is a, in a way any threat to the government? And I would love to know how governments are dealing with blockchain in your respective countries. So sure. let's hear from
1: Ishan Alex, first. Do yeah. you want to go first? Yeah,
2: uh sure.
1: Yeah, Alex, do you want to yeah,
2: go I first? Yeah, I can go first. Um, in the US, we have a unique situation. I don't know if uh I assume every government probably has some corruption, but um, we have a problem where ma- the majority of the, the U.S. Congress are addicted to trading stocks, um, right? So some of them are trading $100 million of stocks. Uh, essentially, it's, it's like you have an employee who has a job uh, and they're not doing it. They're on the, playing video games and Internet all day. It's basically the problem we have in the U.S. Congress. So, um I think that there is no threat for the government uh, to, to blockchain necessarily, especially according to the founding fathers of the U.S. and, and many of those that fought for freedom for uh, marginalized groups uh, such as blacks and women. Um, as long as those principles are kept, uh, Bitcoin is freedom money, right? And Ethereum and other decentralized applications are simply a superior technology, right? Uh, so in in general, it does not give a threat. However, many of the... Members of government are financed by the banking sector, the banking industry. Uh, so yeah, DeFi, centralized finance is definitely a threat. It's not as good as DeFi. But unfortunately, many of the CFI companies were involved in the same criminal actions that banks are, right? So uh, they don't have a protection. So the banks moved last year to attack BlockFi, Celsius, uh, Voyager. And unfortunately, they were, in fact, uh, very badly run companies that completely violated the principles of, of decentralization. <coughs> So DeFi in itself, if it's properly engineered, decentralized finance on Bitcoin, Ethereum. Again, I'm I'm uh, skeptical of other networks that are smaller and newer and more, you know, if, if, if you haven't been through battle for five years, I don't trust that you can make it through battle for five years. I'm a very realist, skeptical person. Right. But decentralized finance doesn't need to have an ethical banker. It doesn't need to have an ethical CEO. Decentralized finance. Uh, Is perfect. So to that degree, yes, decentralized finance is 10 times better than the banking system. It's completely a threat to the banking system. And to the degree that politicians are personally, um, you know, bribed or bought uh, by the banks, it is a threat. It's not a threat to the government itself. Is Bitcoin a threat to the US dollar? Not really. It can be used in a way that people have an alternative, a choice so that it truly is freedom money and America is supposed to be the freedom country. So It is not a threat to the principles of America. It is a threat to the personal uh, corruption of some of these politicians who hold power. So if you notice in the U.S., it goes all the way to the top. President Biden met with Sam Bankman fried three times, discussing crypto regulation. You know, he he had almost every politician on both sides of the political spectrum uh, bought off. So to the degree individually, these politicians are corrupt. Uh, Yes, it it can be viewed as a threat, but it's not a threat. It's only going to make the system more efficient. It's only going to give people like we don't need to destroy the U.S. dollar to have Bitcoin or Ethereum as a currency. It just gives people an alternative and it makes it actually work better. Bitcoin can actually make, you know, and Ethereum can make these systems work better. They can actually help banks uh, work better. People can have a centralized option, a decentralized option. They will only make things more efficient. Uh, So, yeah, so it really is a threat to centralize systems that are uh, abusing power and victimizing people, such as, for example, artists, right? Like in the United States, the music industry is very corrupt. Um, With NFTs, artists can get around that oppressive system and actually make it. You know, in the U.S., you have to essentially work, you know, for the um, label. So sorry, I went on a, a roll there, but essentially it's not a threat to the government. It's not a threat to any system, it actually makes it better unless it's a corrupted system because it will expose the corruption. It is transparent. Uh, People that want opaque systems that they can continue to abuse uh, will feel threatened.
0: What are your thoughts, Ishan?
1: So I believe it's yes and no. Uh, So the first is, I mean, definitely governments fear it as a transfer of, Value, Uh, that's primarily because if you look at how a lot of governments maintain their power, right? So, it is through the central bank. It's being with the ability to print money, and uh, when you have citizens who are using your money, that's one way to sort of have power over your citizens. So, if someone switches to Bitcoin or some other decentralized cryptocurrency, I'm definitely the government is losing power. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other thing is. so, uh, one of the interesting things about crypto, especially in cross-border remittances, is that uh, because governments want to make sure that their currency does not crash and, you know, you don't have a lot of foreign exchange flowing into your economy, they have put a lot of regulations around cross-border remittances, right? Whereas, if you have a crypto, I mean, you can, I can send it from here to there within a matter of seconds, right? So... Or if you're sitting abroad, I can do it within a matter of seconds. So uh, well, that's one of the things that concerns government. So um, they understand that in terms of transfer of value, the power that crypto bring, brings, but since they are also concerned about a lot of negative effects uh, that some a power like that could bring. So um, the classic example is almost every day you hear of a government website or a government portal in India that has suffered a ransomware attack, right? And the hacker is asking Bitcoins in exchange for letting go the data that he's holding hostage. And uh, then they're trying to track Bitcoins and understand which address it's going to. And it involves a lot of complicated analytical tools to figure out where the hacker is, where the money is going, and if they can sort of stop the money from being uh, reaching the hacker or they can do something constructive. So, uh, I mean, I understand the concern from that point of view. The... Other thing is that in terms of the tech itself and also in terms of DeFi and a lot of other applications of blockchain and crypto, I think governments will eventually come to embrace it, but it will take a lot of time and uh, it will end up in creating governments that are more transparent and that are more answerable to the people. Uh, And uh, and if you look at any kind of technological innovation that has happened in the last 100 years, right? So if you talk about color TV, if you talk about satellite television, if you talk about internet, So these were all things that sort of threatened the monopoly of governments around the world. But eventually governments figured out a way to be more transparent and comply with the technology and understand that this would be the new status quo, right? So with the internet uh, being accessible to everyone, governments would need to publish more of their data online. And you could raise, uh, for example, in India, we have something called an RTI, right? So you can ask the government a question, you can ask data regarding it and... The government has to share the data with uh, the citizens in US. Obviously, you will release a lot of uh, confidential papers, even though you're, they are redacted on a timely basis. So I think governments will finally come around to adopting the technology, and that would result in a more transparent uh, government and government systems, and it will definitely be better for the citizens. And I firmly believe that uh, DeFi would be the status quo going forward. I mean, some of the things. That you can do with flash loans etc i mean i think we need that in the banking system because i mean, today if you hold a mortgage with a bank right and if you have to uh, move that mortgage to a second bank it's quite a hassle to do that whereas with something like flash loans you can do that in a matter of seconds so those are innovations we need in today's financial sector so yeah
0: talking about DeFi, next question comes to mind is about taxation if the go- if the money is free flowing, the government doesn't have any checks and balance on how to collect it because there are several, they are just wallets, right? They, they don't have the identity of the voter or the person behind it. So how are uh, the governments approaching the taxation part if uh, blockchain comes to implement be in full-fledged as as in monetary ways?
2: I love that question. Can I answer that first, Nishan? Is that all right? Sorry, sure. okay. Go I don't ahead. want to lose my train of thought. Uh, I think um, governments have no problem tracking that uh, unless you're using a privacy coin like Monero. Uh, look, if we're doing $100 transactions between each other, um, the government can't, you know, it's too much work really to, to track that. But the government should not be worried about that. If I am um, trying to evade taxes of like $10 million or more, there's no way I can hide that. I eventually have to move it into fiat. Uh, You know, like these hackers that stole like billions of dollars from Bitfinex in 2016, uh, they were caught trying to, you know, buy 500, you know, $200 gift cards every month, right? Like it becomes transactions would be too obvious. There's really no way to hide it. Like if you're an ethical person, you just want some privacy and you're, there's really, um, the government should not be worried about you. Uh, If you're truly a money launderer, a criminal, if you're financing terrorist organization, if you're evading tens of millions of dollars of taxes, blockchain is not going to help you. In fact, it's more transparent doing it on Bitcoin or Ethereum. uh, They could see if you're using a mixer, which in the U.S. now they pretty much banned. uh, You can at least see you sent the money from your wallet to the mixer like the IRS. FBI has been studying blockchain since 2013. This isn't 2013 if this is 2013 2014 you know it sean at the beginning sure nobody understood blockchain but now the governments understand blockchain i assume in your government as well but like in the u.s at least in canada they understand blockchain they know how this works they know how, and they've been even sanctioning wallet addresses like yeah like the, the government has no problem tracking it it's actually more transparent cash is the biggest problem cash is what's not transparent in the u.s and india most corruption most criminal activities are still done with cash, right? So uh, I guess they can target Monero or something, but aside from a few a few privacy cryptocurrencies, which are not that common, most transactions are done on Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, you know, Binance, stable coins, right? The real blockchains with transactions of a, a certain value are so transparent, bad actors will easily be spotted uh and it's not a concern it's actually more transparency so the only reason the government should be concerned if they're the ones committing uh, the financial uh crimes right because it's very transparent
0: you are talking about transfer well i'll just add one more question in that um blockchain You cannot point it to an individual, right? Because there are millions of addresses worldwide. Suppose somebody in Russia is transferring to somebody in India, a huge quantity. How will the U.S. government know that, okay, this is an American uh, person doing the transaction and they need to be taxed?
2: You'd be surprised. What is
0: happening? (laughs) You'd be surprised. Because because only once you, when you convert to, when you go to exchange and convert to the fiat or uh, the local currency, That's, I think that's when they get to know about it, right? So yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, because in government in India, that's the rule. When you convert it into Indian rupees and then you have to pay 30%.
2: Yeah, same uh, in the US. I mean, it's not 30%. But look, there's other holes in the data. Even independent people on Twitter do this. They track it. Uh, You can track uh, the, the MAC address, the IP address. Someone's gonna leave a hole somewhere in the data. It's connected. They can see what the email connected to it. If it's on a centralized exchange, they'll have turned in their their ID. You know, there's so many other ways you can. Once you have the address, you can connect it and correlate it to other data. You can track it. You can see unusual activity. Uh, so, the wallet itself, yes, is is um, you know essentially private. But the actions and things done with the wallet. You connect your wallet to OpenSea, right? If you, you want you connect your NFTs to the moment you connect your MetaMask to OpenSea, uh, they see who it is, uh, et cetera. So you can be connected to 20 other uh, websites. Like it can track the activity. It can find you through IP addresses. There's a million and one ways. There are trained, you know, blockchain. Um, uh, what's the word? A criminal investigator, blockchain forensics, right? Uh, there's companies like Chain Analysis. Yeah. It takes more work, but it can absolutely be found. And it can absolutely be tracked if, If it's truly nefarious behavior and it should be tracked, it's easy to, you know, relatively easy to track.
0: One more question, and then we'll ask both the questions to Ishan. Once I was explaining this to a person uh, here, and I said that everybody can see it's very transparent. So the number one question they had was, then what will I do? I don't want people to know how much wealth I have, or I don't want to... uh, I, I want that to be hidden. I don't want people to know how much uh, my my financial standing is. So yeah. that is again a counter to the previous point. Uh,
2: right, unless so. you hold cash in a, in your mattress, everybody already knows that needs to know. Like if you hold it in a mm-hmm. bank, your bank has the data. Uh, if uh, obviously there is ways uh, you, you can still protect your privacy uh, if you're not accessing the cash, you can put it in a wallet. You can leave it there like, you know, it's it's up to you. There's various strategies on a personal level, uh, levels of privacy uh, you can apply. It would take more work, but essentially it's the same thing. Just like if you you're just opening up a checking account or if you want to have some sort of extra layers of security, you go with the bank and you ask for more and they have other services. So um, it's going to be it's a technology and you use it how you need it. And it's, it's available for your use. So uh, as an individual, as an honest individual, you know, if you want privacy, there are tools you can use and it's very um, it's available to you. If you're, you know, a nefarious individual, I'm not going to explain it to you, but usually they, they <laughs> tend to make enough mistakes so they get caught right. But in mm. the government uh, they do their job and they find them because they've been finding people. So it can be done, but in a perfect world, the government should not be involved with messing with normal individuals who are not involved in crime, uh, everyday individuals. The government should waste no time on messing with their lives. If that's kept, uh, you know, your individuals, you have some level of privacy. It does take work, right? Rest assured, the government still does have to do the work to track it, etc. So it's, it is uh, other than cash in a mattress or in a shoebox, which has other problems, right? Cash doesn't do anything for you in a shoebox. Um, you, you know there is a greater level of privacy than uh, as existed before. You don't have uh, a bank who could have you know nefarious employees messing with your data. You don't have. Uh, there's a smaller chance of it being like stolen by hackers, etc.
0: There were big uh, scam issues uh, PNB bank in India, where um, <laughs> some entrepreneurs or. People they take so much loan and the bank goes broke. So they had actually put <laughs> stop for people from withdrawing their own money. So people are not able to access their own money in in a, in a particular bank in India. So blockchain is uh, a solution to that. So asking all these questions now to Ishan, uh, what are what are your thoughts, yeah. can, Ishan? Can I
1: uh, can I have the first question? The the first one that you asked. So. <laughs>
0: The first question was, the people, the government, how do they, I mean, it was regarding taxation. Yeah. If it is flowing it's... from different uh, wallets and different things, so how how would government realize how to tax somebody? And
1: So they don't, right? I mean, they realize that unless you convert it into Indian rupees in India or US dollars abroad, it's not a problem for them. So which is why they don't tax you until you convert it into US dollars or Indian rupees or whatever, right? And uh, in terms of the taxation slab, see, so that's essentially, you know, like a catch-all solution until they figure out what to do with it. So they have said, boom, 30% tax for every transaction that you do until we figure out how we should tax this. And and if you go back to them and if you ask them questions like, oh, do NFTs come under this? Does this cover Gamify? Uh, if I do transactions on Uniswap, does that count as well? So they don't have answers for that. So they've given you, you know, it's like a catch-all solution that anytime you sell, convert it into fiat, boom, thirty percent tax you have to pay to the government, right? So, I mean, so that that's the answer for the tax lab, and I'm sure they'll come up with, uh, you know, more detailed regulations. But in the case.
0: future, but in the future, if it becomes so convenient for people that they don't have to convert it into uh, the fiat currency so then the mm-hmm. government will never know like if so, with the, one current of the problems uh, regulation yeah so one yeah. of
1: the problems that crypto has had with respect to payments and uh, obviously stable coins i was very happy when the first stable coins came out right because i was building bitcoin payment gateways and this was such a big issue so the problem is that if let's say you're trying to buy a product in the real world right most of these are denominated in a fiat currency so either in us dollars or in Indian rupees. In fact, in early 2070s, you had this ecosystem of startups, including ours, which had sort of grown out of that need to create, uh, you know, to do like a safe or like a stable transfer uh, payment in crypto. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a company called BitPay, it's still there, and we built a product called Build Bitcoins. The problem was that if you have to buy anything in Bitcoins, Bitcoin is extremely volatile. Right, And my product is denominated in U.S. dollars. So if I have to quote you a price, that price can only be valid for a very short window. So what we would do is uh, when, let's say, you went to a a merchant who was integrated with our product and you tried to buy something in Bitcoins, a screen would open up similar to how you see a screen when you do a transaction with your credit card. So basically a payment gateway screen. And there would be a 15-minute window in which you would have to pay using Bitcoins. Because after that, the quote that you saw, the price that you saw in Bitcoins would no longer be valid. It would change, right? So uh, payments is still a big problem with crypto. So I don't see that being a problem in the near future until we solve that problem. Stablecoins are great to solve that. But then again, uh, I am yet to see people use stablecoins extensively outside of, let's say, you know, paying uh, people across the world for consultancy assignments, maybe buying uh, a cup of coffee at a crypto convention, etc. So you haven't still seen a big adoption of crypto in terms of payments. So I think we are still a little far away from that being adopted widely and government then rolling out, uh, you know, a tax lab or a regulation for something like that. Um, Is there anything else you can think of which you think... uh, the government is not considering right now. And again, all this is just my personal opinion. I don't speak for any government agency.
0: I have one another question related to this sure. about um, government about starting with equal level, equal level of playing field. People who have got okay. into Bitcoin early, they have thousands, and they have like basically. If you search the net, you'll get the figures there are very few wallets holding majority of the cryptocurrencies. So mm-hmm. if government thinks yeah. to adopt and come into this, it's not an equal level, level of playing field, right? So how right. Do, would I think they that's solve something, the
1: problem? Yeah. So I think they also realize they're kind of late to the game. So which is why you probably don't see them supporting Bitcoin as much, right? Because they realize if they were to go out and buy Bitcoin and uh, this becomes a common bridge currency as an alternative to the U.S. dollar. Uh, you, you know, they would have to invest a lot right now. It's impossible to get back into the game right now. And uh, obviously, if they start buying Bitcoin, the prices of Bitcoin shoot up across the world as well. right? So that's a problem as well. So I think that's one of the reasons, even though they might understand the benefits of something like Bitcoin, they're probably not supporting it because they know it's kind of late for them. And this is why you see them launching all these, uh, you know, these CBDC tokens or whatever.
2: I'd like to answer that Excuse too. Yeah. Good. Sean, great points. Yeah, go ahead. Sean, great points. I appreciate it. I'm learning from you as well. It's good to have someone in the industry. Uh, and Tenme, thank you for this. Likewise, yeah. Thank you for this interview. Um, I have a different thesis. I think uh, it's a bear market right now, which, if you're a speculator, uh, and most people in America bought Bitcoin or crypto that they're trying to price go up as the main use case, right? Um, as an artist, if you're holding a lot of Ethereum, it's a problem, right? But if you are transacting in Ethereum, as long as you're selling, you're fine. It's, you're converting it to your currency. When, when the prices are stably lower, uh, it's much easier to actually transact and use it. As when the prices are going up, nobody wants to get rid of any. Uh, the use case is, is to price go up, right? So unless they're trading, uh, like it's a problem. So with Bitcoin at its range right now, I think is a great time uh, for more uh, in the US. I think we're gonna see this year, next year in in Bitcoin, as well as like, I believe GameFi, uh, gaming blockchains are gonna see massive uh, adoption. You saw a big announcement already with Gala Games, Uh, but with the prices lower, uh, it it does incentivize people that have been waiting and actually doing their research. Not like some guys like, oh, I'll buy Bitcoin when it goes lower and it goes lower, they go, oh no, no, I don't want any, it's gonna die. But actual institutions, banks, uh, governments, um, I think they're absolutely watching, waiting for the price to go lower. Um, in the US government's case, they don't have a problem because they uh, they can print an unlimited amount of money. <laughs> they still have world dominance because of the petrodollar with Saudi Arabia. So. They could print an unlimited amount of money and make the American taxpayers pay it back, right? So they can get it to Bitcoin whenever they want. Um, Central bank digital currencies, I believe, comes more from a government's uh, kind of urge to control its citizens. Um, There is no reason why they cannot use stable coins like U.S. dollar coin. U.S. dollar test stable coins were great uh, on the payment rails of Ethereum uh, for fast transactions. There's other solutions. Ethereum is working on scaling. Uh, you know, Polygon also, or ZK up So there's no reason why they can't use that, but they have less control. So they're trying to maintain control. I think that's why central bank digital currencies, we're seeing that with uh, China and Nigeria, especially that's already in the advanced pilot yes. stages, plus yes. over a hundred countries. But I believe a couple more countries, uh, developing nations, not like uh, India, not major nations, but smaller countries, there's about 30 countries that don't have their own currency. They already have no control. Um, the African uh, franc nations, right, there's 14 that uh, essentially are controlled by the euro and the Bank of France. Um, and there is about eight countries that have the U.S. dollar as a currency. They don't print their own currency. So um, they have the incentive when the U.S. inflates and the U.S. cuts rates, raises rates, it hurts them every time. Uh, also, other countries in the developing world like Kenya, Tanzania, Nigeria and Africa, uh, Vietnam in Asia Right. Uh, These countries have potentially massive growth in their economies, but they're actually being held back uh, and and controlled when the Federal Reserve manipulates the dollar uh, and it hurts them. So they have an incentive uh, to get Bitcoin, not necessarily to buy Bitcoin, but to um, adopt it as a legal tender, which will allow the citizens also countries that have a lot of remittances. I wrote an article about this I could share later, but they a major part of their economy is remittances. Right. So if they take uh, Bitcoin, make it legal tender, take the tax off the remittances, a lot of money will flow into the economy. Then people will use it and they can tax it through sales tax. See, I think sales tax is better than income tax. That's another subject. But if they allow it, if they allow it to flow into the economy, they'll tax it anyway. Right. There's always taxes on this and that transaction. So they should allow it. I think at least two more countries are going to adopt Bitcoin in 2023. I don't make many predictions, but I'll stick my neck out and make a prediction because uh, it, it incentivizes them. And then on the on the down low, I think every bank in the world is figuring out how to not get turned into Blockbuster, right? Not turn into the taxis that were taken by Uber. The, and you'll know, Ishan, they're working on solutions to implement either their own blockchain or to essentially connect up with Ethereum, uh, some XRP, etc. But uh, you know on the download they're all working on they have blockchain departments every major American tech company has blockchain R&D departments blockchain leads they're working on implementing either a solution to connect with a decentralized cryptocurrency uh, or uh, to develop their own either central bank digital currency or private blockchain so I think in the bear market there's even more of that it's just quieter they're not announcing it because it's not really good public relations excitement because people are not really excited but In terms of technology, they see the worth, they're implementing it, including some of the biggest critics of of crypto. They themselves are trying to not become like the dinosaurs. They are uh, innovating right now as we speak.
1: I'll just add to what Alex was saying earlier. So, I mean, also uh, economies or countries where citizens don't really trust the government, right? So, for example, like Argentina and Venezuela and the default to Bitcoin or the default to USDT. And I I think so every time someone says that, you know, cryptocurrencies don't have a use case or, you know, there's no reason for them to exist. You just point the finger at those countries because it's clear that when the institutions have failed and they don't deliver what they're supposed to, you have this decentralized system that is, you know, acting like it's supposed to without, uh, you know, uh, intermediary or even a governing party being there. So, yeah, I I definitely believe that's the way
0: forward, yeah. Talking about CBDC, Central Bank Decentralized Currencies, I was seeing the governor of RBI of India uh, quoting this, that in UPI, uh, I'm not sure if Alex is aware about UPI or no, but that's an amazing and swift way of transacting Indian rupees I think it's very innovative on a global scale. I don't, I would love to know what happens. Alex,
1: it's similar to ACH, except you have like email IDs and you can, so think Venmo meets ACH. That's probably a good corollary.
2: Great. Yeah. See, I'm sure that, yeah, FinTech is advancing uh, whether people want it or not. It's it's going to advance. They're going to innovate. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. India is such an exciting place because it's the largest democracy in the world. As uh, fastest growing population, I guess I think this year in a few years, it's passing China. So uh, there's so much going on in India, yeah. and it's such it's it's the fastest growing of the large economy. So I, I would love to see you know how this gets implemented, and I hope we have decentralized products. I, I think the the better future is a decentralized future.
1: So you tell me about
2: can you tell me about ACX ACX
1: ACX. So, ACH is like uh, we have IMPS over there, right? So, U.S.'s equ- equivalent is ACH. So, like we have NFT, RTGS, okay. we have ACH in the U.S. So, uh, uh, Alex, uh, UPA so... has been there for s- quite some time. It's a centralized infrastructure, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. And uh, it has been used domestically for payments for, I think, around 10 years now. Oh, sorry, then I sort of broke your uh, thought process. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to... So you said
0: is ACH meets some other thing. What was that other thing?
1: Venmo. Venmo. So what is so Venmo? So Venmo is like Paytm. Venmo is like Paytm. Okay. Look at me being being the bridge between cultures. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. okay. So Paytm yeah.
1: is our equivalent of Venmo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what the audience gets it right? What? Uh, yeah. We by the way we have around sixteen people from 16 countries listening, tuning into DocLaz Radio, a very diverse oh, awesome. and spread out uh, audience. My, my I was, What I was saying was about CBDC, the, government, uh, the governor of RBI in India, was explaining it in this way. Even if you do UPI, the whole transaction routes through go- banks. It will go to the receiver's bank and then uh, accounts are changed and then to the person sending it and then you receive it and so on. But he said with CBDC, it's a, CBDC is a currency. You don't have to go through that all that routing. Uh, just uh, money is uh, credited from one place and debited to one place. It just transacts and you don't have to go through the routing process. So am I right on that, uh, Ishan? And
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, the same as Bitcoin, right? If I need to send Bitcoin to you, I don't need to go to a bank, provided I'm already holding Bitcoin. So if I have an on-ramp solution and I convert Indian rupees or dollar to Bitcoin, I don't need to go to a bank, then I can directly send Bitcoin to your wallet. address. So CBDCs work in a similar manner. Once you own some CBDC, which you get by swapping regular fiat currency, I can send it to your CBDC account. So it won't be routed through a bank. So what
0: is the status of CBDC in US and India? And what are its advantage and disadvantage?
1: You will make me lose my job, man. But uh, so uh, uh, do you mind, Alex, if I go first? Go for it. Okay. awesome. So uh, see, CBDC is essentially governments looking at uh, Bitcoin and decentralized centralized uh, payment systems and trying to replicate that using their fiat currency. So the vision they have is that uh, today, obviously, you have intermediaries in the domestic banking system as well. So they want to remove these intermediaries and, you know, they want you to be able to transfer money directly uh, from me to you without going through Paytm, without going through our respective banks and so on and so forth. Uh, the pros are, I mean, obviously, it's much more effective in terms of cost, in terms of efficiency, uh, in terms of uh, the reconciliation efforts, etc., uh, etc. Et and uh, the cons are, I mean, obviously, since... This is an infrastructure that is owned by the government. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are privacy risks, right? I mean, you never know who's at power and how they would act with that kind of data because they can track every transaction that you make. Uh, As far as I understand, all the nodes Mm -hmm. that make up the blockchain networks on which the CBDC will be deployed uh, will be owned by governments, right? So you are essentially at the mercy of governments. So that's quite a big risk. Right. In fact, that's the problem that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum was trying to solve. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if you ask me personally, I believe the cons outweigh the pros. So, but let's see, maybe interesting things will happen. Maybe cross-border remittance will get easier.
0: Only if they made the nodes decentralized, do you think that would work? And how... No, but they
1: won't do that. No, they won't do that because then they would lose control of their currency because this is essentially currency that they're, printing on a blockchain. So instead of printing it as physical cash or print, you know printing it as a ledger that they hold within the central bank, they are printing it on a blockchain. So I mean, if they don't have control of the network, you know you can play around with it, right? So they won't be able to control their liquidity. They won't do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Alex.
2: Yeah. Great. Thanks. So obviously you're the experts on India. Uh, I'll give you a little update on the United States. So first of all, President Joe Biden took office in January 2021. Uh, One of his uh, first appointees that year was uh, Gary Gensler uh, as the head of the Securities and Exchange uh, Commission, SEC. So um, you have, um, you know, while many in the crypto industry find him to be unfriendly, for the first time you have an SEC chairman that understands Bitcoin. He used to teach a blockchain course and a Bitcoin course at uh, MIT, the the prominent U.S. university, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So he was the first government official heading that that truly understood what Bitcoin was. He's a big fan of Bitcoin, uh, not so much the other cryptocurrencies that could be in the realm of, you know, securities, like a lot of these ICOs, he has been pretty heavily going against it. even considering possibly labeling Ethereum as security as it's moved to proof of stake. But another subject, essentially, moving along in March 2022, uh, President Biden issued an executive order, which is not a law, but it's essentially, uh, you know, um, kind of like a very strong suggestion. Um, in the US, there's three branches of government. So the president runs one of those branches. So the SEC, the IRS, FBI, uh, the Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, the president can directly issue them orders. So he basically issued the orders, covered six areas uh, for uh, responsible innovation on uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency and uh, digital assets. He referred to it as digital assets. Consumer, the first is consumer and investor protection. The second is financial stability. The third is illegal activity. The fourth is U.S. competitiveness on the global stage. Fifth is financial inclusion. Six is responsible innovation. So all of that generally um, pretty vanilla, you know, kind of general. It wasn't really a surprise. The government, various officials and various departments were kind of talking that language, but it provided kind of a direction for the executive branch. Uh, So now here's where there's a little bit of pushback. I'll tell you, that's the general. The two things I don't, uh, that I'm personally negative on in that executive order, and uh, there's certain... Factions in the government. Obviously, Joe Biden is is a Democrat, which is more representing the left. And there's the opponents on the right, the Republicans, and then there's other factions within those groups. But um, so there was a a heavy implement kind of suggestion on the the kind of common attack that crypto is bad for the environment and specifically uh, to investigate proof of work mining, which I'm more of the philosophy of. You know, energy use is justified if it is beneficial, right? And energy use that's not beneficial, yes, is waste, but energy use is not in itself evil. So many on Joe Biden's side of politics believe that energy use is itself kind of negative. The human beings are, you know, kind of doing bad things to the planet. And so as a generality, they should be stopped. Somewhere in the middle, there's some responsible, uh, you know, uh, organization. So there's been a lot of investigation into mining of Bitcoin and, I believe um, that that is unjustified because I believe most of the Bitcoin miners that are heavily in the United States do believe in sustainable energy and are pushing for just just the supply and demand of the energy markets makes it so that Bitcoin miners uh, are naturally, you know, by their own greed, are given incentives to mine uh, with sustainable energy, just for pure profit because of how the U.S. energy markets, you basically get charged more for, um, you know, the worse, your your less efficient energy use. So just the profits of the business world, uh, I think, fixes that. So I don't think that's necessary. They also said we want to explore a central bank digital currency. Now, the Fed chairman, who's not under the president, but is essentially coordinated, said we're not going to ban Bitcoin. We're not going to ban crypto. Uh, so I appreciated that. So That was good. Um, so the concerns are they're moving forward with the central bank digital currency, how much, you know, you have to have the balance of like total, total privacy and, and total uh, government overreach and somewhere in the middle is right. So those are my concerns that they're moving forward and the FTX collapse kind of awoken a very anti-crypto sector in the government, certain people in Congress that feel all crypto is bad, all Bitcoin is evil, all crypto is a scam, and it should be wiped out completely. So you have Senator Elizabeth Warren and people like that that are just completely anti-crypto. Uh, and a lot of those folks are in their 70s and 80s, honestly. Um, another branch of the government I mentioned is the Congress, right? It's not under the president, it's a separate branch. In the Congress, there is a blockchain caucus. It was founded in 2016 with one Democrat, one Republican, it's now uh, 28 members as of 2020. Uh, so that is bipartisan, meaning uh, there's an equal representation on both sides. And both sides have an incentive and a desire to create regulations which do not crush innovation. My biggest concern is these regulations. You, we will wipe out the good projects while, while punishing the bad. Uh, so hopefully... Uh, when everything mixes out, the evil, you know, the evil guys get, get go to jail and the good guys are allowed to innovate. Right. So it's kind of a balancing act. But I think overall, the Congress uh, has been positive in trying to create innovation. That's uh, sorry, um, regulation. That's more of guidelines. So the innovators can know what they can and can't do and, and can build Um it's also a problem that some of those innovators are, in fact, bad actors, right? So it's it's a balance. So the more bad actors get caught, the more the public are going to want to push their Congress people to penalize them. <clears throat> and the, the, the more tight that regulation is going to be. So that's kind of where it stands. Central bank digital currency is being explored. The US does have the, the problem uh, of what, while they may support a freedom money, they also are very concerned with China uh, and the Chinese government gaining a technological edge over the United States as it has uh, gradually over the last few decades. So the, the other change is that uh, the Congress, the President is controlled by the Democrats, the Senate is controlled by the Democrats, the lower house of Congress still has significant power. It was the Democrats, now it's switched over to a small lead for the Republicans. So the Republicans took over, and the first thing they did is they created a committee uh, to investigate the technological you know, essentially competition between China and the United States. So there are incentives to, to regain that edge that could include implementing a central bank digital currency. So that's my concern. So being here, of course, not not supporting China, but at the same time, um, you know, sometime extreme measures, you know, they say uh, desperate times equal desperate measures. Well, most desperate measures by any government are bad. So um uh, and even if they're good, they wind up having bad elements that hurt good people. So my fingers are crossed. Uh, I am watching it closely. Um, I do think that the U.S. is a little bit more free in terms of like like Europe tried to ban proof of, mine, proof of work mining. They tried to ban private wallets. Uh, that didn't happen. But they did set laws to closely inspect proof of work mining. Uh, they did put a limit where you have to report any... A transaction of a thousand euros to a private wallet. So, uh, I personally don't like those regulations. I think they're too strict. I don't think the U.S. is going to adopt as strict regulations, because there's enough people in Congress that that are against that. But I am concerned that um, you know I'm going to be watching that because those things I think are very important. I don't think the government should should ban uh, effective proof of work mining. Uh, if you want to do proof of stake, I have no problem with that. But I don't think the the government should ban it. And it's absolutely important, even if there is a central bank digital currency, I've written about that. You must, must allow citizens to have private wallets. We'll we catch some bad actors, but the bad actors already will be caught right now. You don't need more regulation. Uh, you, you don't need that. Uh, too many innocent people will be hurt and it will give the government too much power. That's all I got. I know I went on a rant there.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, tag on to what you were saying. So I think a lot of the fear uh, in terms of U.S. U.S.'s stance on crypto also comes from the fact that, uh, I mean, around the crypto world, people are scared how the government would interpret and implement these laws, right? So, for example, Nick Sasbo, the father of smart contracts, he went to jail for a couple of years for how U.S. interpreted cryptocurrency at that point of time. Also, the developer of Tornado Cash, right? So I think a lot of uh, fear is that you would probably have Another. I mean, even the guy who started Silk Root, right? So if you look at his story and why he set it up, he's not really the drug lord that everyone makes him out to be. So I think uh, a lot of fear is around how it gets interpreted and implemented and, uh, you know, what would be the fallout for something like this. Yeah,
2: you're so right. And I'm watching.
1: Yeah. And uh, no one does it better than the U.S. when it comes to... Such actions, if I may say so, yeah.
0: Talking about CBDCs again, uh, do you think they will be implemented on a proof of work or proof of stake in your respective governments?
2: Proof of stake, no question about it. It's so much easier to, but it'll be a private blockchain. It'll be their own, unless it's not really going to be CBDC. If it's a stable coin, it can just go on Ethereum on proof of stake. It's not going to be on proof of work. Guaranteed no government is going to do that.
0: So they're not very
2: keen so on creating their
0: own chain. They just, if there's a stable US dollar uh, thing, then they won't create their own CBDC. Is that what you're saying, Alex?
2: I'm saying no. It's going to be on proof of stake, if they, no, 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 or no. it's going to be their own. The governments have too much pressure, too much campaign against use of energy. None of them are going to implement proof of work unless it's some super.
0: Uh, no, I'm I'm oh. asking if there is a proof of stake. Uh, I don't know which ones are right now, USDT or D- USDC. If so these, the are, these are these sufficient, are these sufficient or alternative to CBDC in US? Or they are they still planning to go ahead and do their own CBDC because China and yeah. other world is doing?
2: It? I think they're going to do it. It's inevitable, in my personal opinion. What we have is sufficient, but I don't think that's the opinion of, of the people in the government and the Federal yeah. Reserve. I think it's inevitable yeah. they will implement yeah. some form of it. I hope it's going to be like a USDC instead, but I'm I'm not positive. I think it yeah. will be a CBDC.
0: What do you think, Ishan? You're saying something.
1: Yeah, so uh, in terms of what consensus mechanism they use, so I think it's irrelevant if you own all the nodes, right? mean, it doesn't matter if you use proof of work, proof of stake, proof of authority, whatever. Because, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. own all the nodes. Why do you even need to run a consensus mechanism? Obviously, you are in agreement with yourself. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think the environment concern would come up much in CBDC because, like Alex said, that definitely no one is going for proof of work. So that's not something that would come up as a concern when people are implementing CBDCs. Uh, I mean, definitely not from someone who understands how blockchain works. Uh, and uh, what was the other question? I think there was something else you were asking, right? Uh, in terms of whether USDC or USDT would be adopted instead of a CBDC, right? So yeah, in I, I India, we don't guess
0: guess have is... a in India, we don't have a rupee or something like that. Stable rupee. We...
1: We no, we do. Some people have tried, but mostly there were scams. A Pe- couple of people have tried. You had like Lakshmi Coin, but they were scams. But USDC is the perfect example, right? So if you know the history of Circle and how USDC was formed, it was created with a lot of consultation with regulators where they would go back to the regulator after every few days and ask, oh, are you okay with this? Can we go ahead and do this? This is how we are thinking of issuing it, etc. And still USDC sort of... In fact, that's one of the reasons uh, Tornado Cash got shut down because, uh, I mean, USDC was obviously being routed through Tornado Cash and... They wanted to crack down on it, and the net, the protocol sort of complied with the regulator because they have always wanted to make the regulator happy. So, uh, I mean, obviously, maybe the US would adopt the USDC, but I think they'd be more comfortable issuing their own CBDC. Uh, in India, I mean, definitely, if you have a USDC or a euro, you would definitely see a euro or a, a US dollar denominated Indian rupee stablecoin coming out. Uh, I think the reason you have a US dollar stablecoin and quite a few of them is because, I mean, the dollar is still the bridge currency around the world, right? So it makes sense for you to go to any exchange around the world and buy crypto using a USD equivalent, right? So I can't wire you USD, so I will use a USDT or a USDC stablecoin to buy a crypto at a exchange in Russia or an exchange in uh, Ukraine or, Mal, uh, you know, Malda or what have you. So I think that's why USDC is popular, but definitely we'll see governments uh, launching their own CBDCs, irrespective of whether a stablecoin exists or not. Uh,
0: Talking about the US supremacy of USDC and being the bridge currency all over the world, uh, I was reading and getting to know about these things that with uh, Russia coming in uh, with, with the war and things going on and with the petrol rates and hikes, uh, P- Putin suggested that there, there we should create a BRICS coin with uh, Brazil, India, China, South Africa. Uh, wh- who can trade with a coin that doesn't need to depend on um, U.S. dollars? They can. Even Saudi Arabia is joining the clan with agreeing to. Because the main thing that uh, the world needed to buy with U.S. dollars was pet- petrol and oil. Now, if if you move that or change that. There's no need for that, so um, th- that is being considered. I even read about India creating Vostro accounts. Vostro accounts is basically other countries creating accounts in India and Indian, Indian banks and accepting Indian rupees for transactions. So it has been done with Maldives, uh, Russia, and Sri Lanka, and some other countries in the, in the list. So there is definitely a. Um, uh, I mean. It I don't think it might last last for long, uh the, the supremacy of US, US dollars. What are your thoughts on that?
2: You want me to jump in on that? You can go, hey, Sean. you wanna go ahead?
1: Go ahead, go ahead, okay. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, look I th- I think um
2: What I think is what we're seeing in the news is not what's really happening. I think Saudi Arabia has benefits from kind of negotiating. They feel they have the upper hand. Um, they have uh, complete total protection of the US military. So, um, but at the same time that they see a weakness in the US president right now, and his foreign policy has kind of been very weak, honestly, uh, and reactionary. So uh, unlike uh, former presidents who are more aggressive, um, they see a a, i don't know that they've decided which side they're on i think they're playing both sides um you know and while BRICS kind of sounds cool uh india has has is strongly positioned against china right so i think india the government uh while while it's again i think they're smart they're they're not necessarily agreeing with the us but they're also playing both sides. Each, each party is working to their own benefit. Russia and China have tremendous benefit from an alternative system. Um, Saudi Arabia, India, not so much. They want to see which system is going to benefit them the most. So I think that's how it's going to be. I think the U.S. president is mishandling this grossly. Um, and I think at just the wrong moment, as the Fed is, is increasing rates, it's hurting everyone else. So I, I, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out. Yeah, this may, this may dethrone the dollar. This may not. Uh, I don't think it's a definite thing. Brazil has their own problems right now. As you know, I mean, they, 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 uh, it's very strange what's going on there. Uh, you know, the people, uh, I guess, stormed the capital, uh, overtook the capital. Um, unlike in the U.S., that wasn't some show. That was an actual, seems to be an actual revolt, right, of some sort. Uh, there's no leader. So anyway, it's crazy. So I don't think um, positioning yourself with China and, and Russia is a very risky uh, geopolitical move. So I think anyone doing so will need to have definite incentives. And I think it's uh, a gray area. And I think it's uh, pretty interesting to see. I'm going to watch to see how it plays out. I don't think it's definite either way.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a long time since the dollar is – or if the dollar is just plays – as the default bridge currency. Because, I mean, you also have to understand it's a psychological thing, right? So, uh, when we quote our clients who are sitting in Germany, US, or the Middle East, we quote them in US dollars. Because, I mean, frankly, that's
0: the... Psychological thing could change. It's
1: different because when, let's say, I'm negotiating with someone on a contract and I say, okay, this will cost you $2,000, he knows exactly how much I'm asking for, right? So, it takes a lot of time for something like that to change uh, psychologically because you're you're so used to doing business in a certain way and it's easier right I mean I can't look at six different currencies for clients that come from six different geographies it's easier to rely on let's say U.S. dollars or what in fact I, uh, I have a lot of Canadian clients who complain that I quote in U.S. dollars okay. they say why don't you quote in Canadian dollars that makes mm-hmm. more sense to us but and um, that's uh, and that's how things work, right? When you're working with international trade. Do you the think there system.
0: will be a global a global blockchain and a global current decentralized currency that will replace this? Let it, let it be one of them, or then it becomes one, right? Then there, there's no that psychological thing again. If there's one decentralized cryptocurrency
1: for so, all international okay, it's transactions. The problem. So, so, when I entered the NFT space, or I should say re-entered, a couple of your peers came to me and said, oh, you should not be thinking about these NFTs in terms of dollars or rupees. You should be thinking about them in ETH, right? So, But then again, with the market started falling, everyone went back to denominating them in dollars. So that's a big problem because cryptos are still volatile when compared to fiat currency. And the fact of the matter is, most of the daily objects and services we buy we pay in fiat currency rather than crypto so unless you have a big change in how a trade is carried out where you buy your groceries by paying in crypto or you let's say you pay pay your plumber or carpenter in crypto you pay for your kids fees in crypto unless you see a mass movement towards that i don't see that happening because I, I'm, we still deal with fiat uh, on a daily basis
0: Another thing that is controlled by the U.S. is the SWIFT banking and transaction system. So I again read this China uh, doing the CBDC along with UAE and trying out a new payment system like SWIFT that will nullify the use of SWIFT. Uh, Have you read about that or what are your thoughts on on that?
1: So uh, in terms of replacing SWIFT, I think that is something that has already started Happening, especially on the retail remittance side. Uh, side so with transfer wise and obviously Western Union has been there for a long time and it obviously relies on Swift. But you have a lot of alternatives to, to Swift, especially when it comes to retail uh, remittances. Uh, enterprise remittances, business remittances are where Swift still plays a major role. So I mean, uh, definitely with these CBDCs coming into the picture. I'm hoping that's a problem that would be solved because you're correct. I mean, Swift has a big dominance and people end up shelling a lot of money for uh, Swift transactions, right? Primarily Mm -hmm. because they have a monopoly. So, yeah, I I definitely hope that something like that would happen with CBTCs coming around.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Anything you want to add to that or shall we move to the next question? Okay. So talking about blockchain and other use cases of blockchain for the government, I'm totally excited and looking forward to the land records keeping. So uh, many times there are a lot of disputes on land titles and areas and stuff like that. So how, first of all, I wanted to know how it works in US. And then how do you think the land records and... What are the other use cases like voting or corruption and how things supply chain management, what what would work? So first of all, just tell me how, how land, who keeps the land records and is it different for different states or is it one at national level or
2: so, is it an issue to be taken on blockchain? So in the U.S., uh, every county uh, keeps records, right? Um, so the county is a smaller division of the state. So there are... You know, perhaps slightly different variations of laws, but essentially in the US, you go to the county it used to be a physical location. They used to have a massive library of titles of every uh, property. Uh, and now, uh, as far as I know, it's digital. I think moving it from physical to digital is extremely important and keeping good records. I don't see that a blockchain necessarily does so much for that when, you know, simple, simply a database is adequate. Um, it's already relatively, you know, there are issues with it, but it's relatively transparent. Uh, whereas any individual can go pay ten dollars and get any record. Uh, it's, it, you know, you know, any any newspaper reporter. If you're doing some funky business, any newspaper reporter can walk into your county uh, or email now, call, get a record in ten minutes. Uh, so it's, you know, while there are some errors with the data, it's it's pretty transparent and it's, it's, I don't know how long that's been. It's probably been a long time because you know, the, 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 um, the things that blockchain solves with money pretty much, you know, you could see who, who's owned it when, uh, when they transferred who to who. So any errors could be in terms of bad record keeping, but it's pretty, every single County in the United States seems to have done that job pretty well. So I don't see that it's necessarily issue with, um, that a blockchain necessarily is going to fix it. Just a general upgrade to the database is fine, because again, it is a government record, so it's it is mm. centralized. Um, and unlike money, uh, it doesn't really incentivize a hacker financially to go and just destroy the records, right, of a county's you know ownership deeds. What about? Uh, it won't benefit them in any way, right, financially. Unlike, you know,
0: unless, yeah, yeah. unless the hacker has, um, land over there or some interest. Not really, not really,
2: because you, you would just have unclear records. The hacker would still need to go to court. They would need to go uh, pay appraisers. They would need to go pay contracts with banks, uh, there's no like I understand it. Maybe in India there, there's certain you know crime lords that have vast controls over certain areas. In, in the U.S. it's a lot more. It's a lot more. spread out, uh, and everyone still has to follow the same rules. Uh, like as a, I'm actually a mortgage broker, uh, I need one more thing on no. my license. Like you, no matter who you are, you still need to get check off from a mortgage broker. You still need to get check off from an insurance company. Like there's so many checks and balances, the rules are actually a bit overburdensome. I don't see a need how blockchain is going to particularly change that in any big way other than just simply, as needed, more efficient record keeping. But that can be accomplished Mm -hmm. with a centralized database. I personally, the one thing, I will say one thing, I think supply chain logistics uh, is an important thing. There could be a national kind of blockchain where companies could cooperate. Let's say there's 20 different companies that are working on the same supply chain. It would benefit uh, them to have some sort of public record, uh, but at the same time, it would need to be kept private so you don't have Russian hackers or or Chinese hackers going in and and finding out where the key supply points are and figuring out which factory to, to hit with the DDoS attack. So it would need to somehow be private, public. I think Amazon already probably has the best supply chain logistics in the world. Uh, you could probably just copy what they're doing and they probably will implement some sort of uh, enterprise blockchain if they feel they need to. So between Amazon, uh, IBM, Google, uh, they probably figured it out better than any government. So I would just borrow what they're doing or copy what they're doing or give them a contract. I don't know their internal work they may or may not already have a blockchain set up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, land records is something we are implementing in Tamil Nadu. And uh, obviously I have a slightly different view from Alex on this. So in India, there are, uh, three major problems that, uh, blockchain solved with respect to land records. So the first is, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a centralized database that the state is controlling, right? But then again, you also have other people accessing that database. So, I mean, you have vendors, you have other kind of parties interacting with that database, so you would want a secure ledger to make sure there's a provenance of all uh, land transactions that have been carried out. That's the first part of it. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can get 90% of the way with the centralized ledger, like Alex rightly said, but then it doesn't hurt to get the other 10% as well, right? When you're, especially, so if you look at Tamil Nadu, right, so we, some of the land records we have date back to 500 years. So they were written on leaves. So it's basically some king giving land away to a temple and uh, the priest basically getting allocated some land and then building a temple on top of it. And all these records are now being digitized and then they are being moved to a blockchain ledger. Uh, So that's the first aspect, uh, the security aspect. The second is that, uh, I mean, it's still quite cumbersome to, buy and sell land, right? So like Alex mentioned, you have to go to a court, you have to go to a notary, you have to be physically present to buy and sell land or to lease land or to carry out any other activity. And obviously, there's a reason the process exists. But uh, I mean, in India, since we are so crazy about technology, we definitely try to use tech to improve governance. So uh, if you are able to ensure and build a secure way in which people could sit at their home and buy and sell probably small pieces of land with their phone. Nothing like it, right? They don't have to step into a government office, which means they don't have to deal with touts and middlemen who would charge them a lot of money for getting their work done. And not to cut to you off, with sorry,
2: but just to clarify, yeah. most of it can be done digitally now too. Like you can go to their website, you can call right. them on the phone. It doesn't have to be in person, but anyway, sorry, go
1: on. Right, 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 right. But then again, also with respect to identity verification, et cetera, right? So there it helps to have like a self-sovereign or a decentralized identity and uh, capture the transaction on a decentralized ledger. Because if it's on a centralized ledger, you again run the risk of someone sort of manipulating the transactions before it reaches the ledger. Uh, So that's the second thing where it plays an important role. Uh, One more addition to that do you mind if I close do you mind if I will just uh, put yeah. the third point and I'll just go back to you so the third point is that uh, land as an asset also plays an important role when you are trying to uh, let's say like uh, Alex mentioned when you're trying to use it as a, you know as an asset for going abroad or for taking a loan from the bank right so uh, generally the way the process happens in India right now is I mean you go you give x amount of money and you get a physical copy of your land record which you go and submit to the bank and then the process happens uh sure you could do it digitally as well where you can do it through legacy web2 infrastructure but then again uh one of the problems we have had with centralized infrastructure especially in things like education certificates etc is that we have seen cases where people have gone and modified Uh, data that is residing in centralized database, right? The perfect example is uh, these fake certificates. So a lot of people go to Middle East and they realize they need to get management degrees to get promotions. So they will wire money back and write these fake exams. And then magically their name appears in centralized databases. So, you know, one day you're not an MBA and the other day you get an MBA from a very prominent college. In India, because someone can go back and modify the centralized database. So, cases like these still happen. And especially when you're using land as an asset across uh, uh, international boundaries, so a blockchain becomes important. So, those are the three uh, benefits that I see for implementing land records on blockchain. Yeah, yeah you
0: I, was saying th- I was saying about that point about uh, purchasing and selling. You still have to go to the register, right? To register and give your fingerprints. And you need to go to a government office to register the transaction. Isn't you it that way that in now. US?
1: You need to do that now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember having to do my fingerprints, uh, but I had to show my ID, which has a fingerprint on it. Uh, you know, a lot of it was done through, again, middlemen. In this case, the middlemen are pretty solidly established by law, and they're not just useless. Um, The regulations in the US, uh, you know, a lot of them are based off of what happened in 2008 with the real estate crash. So a lot of middlemen were effing around and a lot of those things are illegal now. So if there are laws, if, if you're being charged a fee for a service that's unnecessary, um, the people doing it can actually, uh, go to jail and lose their license. So it's, it's pretty harshly.
0: Do you still have to, do you still have to go to a government uh, organization to physically to register or something or sign no. or do something? Somebody else,
2: or can you do the, somebody else has to do it for you online. So there is some connection, okay, okay. but you don't have to go, you don't have to show up physically. You just deal with your mortgage okay. broker and they do all that for you. It's mostly done mm. online. Um, and, and via, you know, kind of, uh. Phone with a bank and so on.
0: That's very interesting. That that's more easier. What do you think about that, Ishan? Yeah,
1: no, definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. I mean, you know how land transactions are done and how things work, so it makes perfect sense for people to be physically present. I mean,
2: in the our government is so massive, right? The U.S. government is, I think, over three and a half million employees or something like that. Almost all of business. I mean, everybody is digital right now, right? Apple, Microsoft. I mean, the government was the last people using the Blackberry, uh, right? Uh, Obama, yeah. President Obama and his staff were the last big users of the Blackberry. Like, um, yeah. the IRS is huge, right? They're still, they're not even up to web one. They're still 20 years back. They still haven't digitized much of their records. So yeah. a lot of money they're asking yeah. for is to, to upgrade their massive databases, which is yeah. paper, right? Outside of the federal government, almost everybody else is already in some form of digital advanced technology, right? So, uh, except ironically, the federal government because it's so huge.
1: Mm.
2: Everybody else, most local governments, mm. almost everything is is digital now. It's interesting to, to comment. They're stuck in the midnight, you know, still trying to upgrade from the year 2000, right, into Web one, uh, Web two type yeah. area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ob- Obamacare and the implementation of Obamacare is still taught as a case study in many engineering colleges here. So who, yeah, how they it's, it's a lot of confusing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of strange, right? Because it's a mix between, it's another subject. But in the U.S. you have, you, you know, the countries that have implemented it well is like Australia. You have a nationalized health care I'm not a fan of socialism yeah. except I think in in healthcare it could work um, but Australia has 20 million people right uh, Florida itself has more than 20 million people right and, and Florida actually is one of the better healthcare uh the bigger states usually even even the right and the left you know Florida New York California have some of the better healthcare because they have a lot of money um, it's a challenge America's 350 million people I mean India is an even bigger challenge so a lot of if you're very poor, uh, if you unemployed, uh, it works for you, right? But it's kind of like yeah. taking taking the bus instead of taking the airplane. So most people that have money, um, the the kind of health care is very uh, not very good. If you have some money, if you have tons of money, you don't care. If you have middle class, it's it's kind of a hassle uh, for your whole life,
1: okay. right? You don't but I was talking more about the technical implementation of the yeah. platform. So I remember you know, the website. crash. you would know this when they Yeah, when, yeah. Yeah, when yeah, you first yeah, yeah, yeah. the website crash. So Every that. year yeah. it's yeah. the same thing. We have yeah. the same healthcare, but it's still Obamacare. Yeah. Uh,
2: healthcare.gov. It's been right. that way since since they implemented implemented through Trump, through Biden. So it's yeah. uh, I, I'm sure they they move their servers, right? It's not crashing anymore. But it's still uh, it's still interesting, right? And right. you can only register at yeah. one time of the year. And you have a few weeks and it's it's still, um, it's a mess. Canada's a mess. Don't let people tell you otherwise. They say they have great healthcare. It's a mess. It's a lie. US is a mess. Yeah. It's a strange system. It's one of the few systems the US has that is good for the rest of the world and bad for the US, right? These companies make tremendous profit and then entrepreneurs in India yeah. can copy and paste it and and bring the solutions <laughs> for healthcare cheaply to everybody in India and the world. And people in the US are paying 200 times the price for the same thing, right? So it's actually good. The greed is bad for the American people, good for the rest of the world. It's the only industry that I know that's like every other industry is good for Americans and bad for everyone else. But healthcare, actually, it's reverse. So it's crazy. It's a crazy system, but it is what it is.
0: How would blockchain help uh, in the healthcare and uh, these?
2: Well, the problem is it's so beneficial to the existing power players in healthcare that make so much money they don't want to change anything they're they're the kings of the world yeah. they have more power than any national leader the president
0: no but in case yeah. in case the listeners uh, become advised about the situation and then they go after the senators and try to implement it's not gonna happen. is it a viable solution no no,
2: no. There's so no not
0: about happen or not happen uh i but will it be a better alternative? That's it's so hard to if tell. If or not is another question. We're so early. Yeah.
2: I'll shut up and let it talk. But we're so early. We just have Bitcoin. We just have Ethereum finally building decentralized apps. DeFi is a baby. Uh, that's a whole new universe. It's massive. It's, it's almost bigger than the financial sector. Uh, it's insane. Uh, it's too early to tell. You'd really have to implement it on a local level, on a small scale, uh maybe in states that are smaller than florida in in small cities in india like it's so it's so massive it's such a problem obviously you would need to have a blockchain that's secure and private Mm. but also strong which the more decentralized it is the stronger it is so it's a kind of that trilemma would need to be fully solved and we're not there yet even in the state of money so i think yeah. Bitcoin and Ethereum are the closest uh ask me in five, ten years. I don't think that's going anywhere for another ten years.
0: <laughs> Privacy is a so, big issue with healthcare, right? Because yeah. then there's so much data of blood type and uh, health details, how many heart attacks you had or yeah. family history. It's a problem. Like imagine this, people can use yeah. this. Like the, the bad elements so, of the society can at least use this to like even yeah. murder or, um, uh, what do you say? It's a problem. Imagine um, if you're in Iran and they figure that it's out. A problem, yeah.
2: They just switch your medication. They, hmm. they cut you off from medication. You're dead. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Healthcare actually has actually quite a few interesting exper- experiments that are happening in the blockchain space. Uh, one is actually in the US. Uh, I mean, this is tracking of fake and spurious drugs, right? Big problem in India, big problem. In U.S. and other parts of the world. In fact, the U.S. has, I think, one of the largest implementation of a pharmaceutical ledger. It's been led by Johnson and Jones, and uh, you have Walmart on board. You have a couple of other big pharma companies who are trying to set up this pharma supply chain. So, anytime uh, you buy a drug at a store and it's a fake or a spurious drug, you can immediately check whether uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, what you bought is legit or not. Like you rightly said, privacy is a big problem. So. I think again in US and in India also, we are trying this out with NDHM where we are trying to do consent management on a decentralized ledger, primarily because if it's on a centralized ledger, uh, someone can tinker with your consent, right? So let's say you consented to share certain medical data with uh, an R&D company or with a researcher or with, let's say, your insurance provider and someone went back and changed that. So consent management is a big problem. There's one use case that you would love so there's this company called Bio NFTs, right? So they do something very interesting. I think it's called BioGene NFTs. So they create NFTs with genetic data. And let's say if a researcher wants to take your genetic data for conducting some research, you lease out your BioGene NFT to the researcher. So basically you rent it out for some amount of time and you earn some revenue from it, uh, which the researcher pays to you. So these are NFTs that generate revenue from your DNA data. So that's uh, interesting use case. What about
0: voting? India has a marathon voting, and I think I don't want to uh, take pride. Safety, I yes. mean, I can take pride, uh, but um, it's it's massive, and with the voting system is something that can be studied around the world. Like India can teach maybe that to the world. What what do you think uh, about blockchain used for voting?
2: I think we're too early. Uh, some pilots were done in California. Uh, the problem is you have multiple networks. You have a layer one, you have a layer two, you have an app. Uh, in terms of security, the more points of attack you have, um, the more insecure you are. Uh, the US has had this problem. It's been hacked. Uh, so I think look at how many hacks we've had in, in the crypto space in the last two years, um, with mostly with apps, right? Uh, bridges apps on blockchains, that they, they exploit the connections because it's hard to exploit the base layer in most cases, except where, you know, you have like a former developer who's got, you know, some axe to grind. So um, the security issues of putting on on blockchain are actually greater than centralized systems. They're tremendous. Uh, so I think there's a hope. But again, I don't think it's going to happen in the next 10 years because we're so primitive. We're so new in this technology. We're just... You know, people are still getting their, their NFTs drained from, from their MetaMask, right? So that, imagine, put that on a level with 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, 100 million people. Um, that's a serious, serious concern. And, and I think um, we're, we're very far away from that in terms of security. Uh, you could do something on Bitcoin sure. or Ethereum, but you'd still need to use a, 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 a next layer a side chain, and it wouldn't be you, you. You wouldn't really want to mess with Bitcoin and dump all this stuff on on chain or Ethereum. You want to, you lose your chain. So, yeah, that's my take. That's the challenge. I'm sure Ishan is is a lot more data on solutions, uh, but I'm a bit skeptical. I'll say we're ten years away.
1: So, no, I agree with Alex. So, uh, one of the main things you need in voting is I need to be able to count your vote. Uh, without disclosing who you voted for, right? So that's a big problem because in blockchain, once you fire a transaction, if I'm able to anyway link it back to you, uh, I will know who you waited for. So there can be collusion and, uh, you know, I can find out if you game the system or someone paid you money, etc. So, uh, and in fact, voting is something we still haven't solved for DAOs as well, right? So governance is a big issue for protocols and DAOs and they're still trying to solve how they should uh, do voting in a more effective manner in which uh, a couple of people who collude together cannot game the system. So, I I mean, I am more pessimistic than Alex. I think it's another 50 years until you get to see something uh, related to voting on the blockchain. And the other thing is that the current technology that we use for voting, it's much more resilient because obviously you have had generations of this technology uh, evolve uh, and uh, sort of be resilient to whatever cyber security threats that can be there, right? And also a lot of non-technical threats. So what if someone seals the voting machine or what if someone tries to destroy it? So what do you do in such a scenario? How do you make sure that uh, no one gets to know what party or what candidate you have voted for? So uh, I, I mean, in that sense, uh, the voting infrastructure that exists right now is much more resilient to anything broken blockchain can bring to the, to the table
0: right now okay <laughs> so some technologies are good it's like it's not that uh, blockchain can replace everything some yeah, uh, yeah. traditional things are also good so same things we were discussing in nfts also people trying to look back and go back to web 2 or maybe start up make a web web 2.5 so the, this is another example which adds to that. Um, what about um, corruption and the, these issues in 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 in, in the governments or officials? What are your thoughts on that? I'm very so keen. A, a, Does, uh,
1: any yeah. kind of technical uh, or any kind of digitization, when it happens, definitely it lowers corruption to some extent. But then again, you know the the point is that the terminal points or the oracles, to use a word, DLT word, are still a lot of humans, right? So, I mean, if they are corrupt, they can still game the system. So, will blockchain cut down corruption to uh, some extent? Definitely. But will it be as big a game changer that a lot of thought leaders portray it to be? Probably not. Because you are still, I mean, the termination points of your digital systems are still humans, right? So, if let's say, the person who is entering your marks into a decentralized ledger uh, asks you money, and says that I'll increase 10 marks on your academic record to do so. I and mean, there's nothing a blockchain can do. There's, if a bad data goes into the system, that is what the record is. There's no way someone can, uh, you know, sort of predict something like that will happen. So definitely it will cut down corruption, but probably not to the extent that a lot of people think it will.
0: Mm. Alex, how, what is the situation of corruption and black money in U.S.?
2: Uh, I'm sure it's not as bad as it is in um, India. It's, it's more in terms of on an official level, it's more through uh, there is a situation of dark money that's that's basically digital and uh, politicians are supposed to disclose, disclose the donations they get. There is some kind of dark money that does happen. Uh, it's believed Sam Bankman Freed actually uh, paid uh, Republicans with dark money because he didn't want it known that he was supporting Republicans, right? He was he wanted it known he was supporting the left because most of the, the news media supports the left. So he wanted to be viewed as a hero, but he, he also was paying <laughs> Republicans with dark money and uh, it's known that politicians on both sides have taken... Uh, that's the main problem and that's not through cash. That's fully digital type stuff. So, um, you know, I think, like you said, any new innovation is going to bring
0: if it is digital, how is it dark? Because in India, black money is all correlated to cash.
2: It's not. I have no idea. Once it comes on the system, <laughs> I have no idea. It could have been done through a mixer, through crypto, through through uh, you know, um, Monero. It could have been. It could have been cash. Uh, it could have. Usually, it's done in the U.S. Money laundering is done through other assets, right? Like uh, through art, uh, or you know, I know, you know, through. Hard through NFTs, unfortunately. Right. So I I could sell you an NFT for a million dollars. Right. That's some piece of crap. But in reality, uh, you know, it's it's a drug deal or something. Right. So I think at a a federal level, the main problem with the government is individuals becoming rich uh, through stock tips, uh, illegal you know, insider trading is illegal on Wall Street. But basically, it's not really been codified for um, Congress because they're going to have a meeting about the military budget and they know that they're going to sign a contract with Lockheed Martin next week. So they all buy Lockheed Martin stock, it skyrockets and then they sell it, right? So that, that's kind of more the problem with the US government corruption is that individuals are um, getting rich to their own profit or let's say Obama, right, is kind of poor. Uh, he goes out of office and he's, he's signing, you know, he goes to speak for $200,000 at a university. Every time he speaks, he, he, he has a book, you know, he, it's a book deal. Book deals seem to be the main form of money laundering for politicians. The U.S., they'll get a book deal. They'll get $25 million um, to put their name on a biography. Uh, they'll go do a book tour, get a million dollars each place they show up. So it's kind of like um, people gaining support. So, so some company, some drug company, some insurance company, some oil company is going to be investing millions of dollars to make politicians rich, not through a literal backdoor deal, but through a very – uh, intelligently uh, organized money laundering scheme, which is fully legitimate, right? Like a book deal, they're going to sponsor, um, you know, Obama's library. They're going to sponsor uh, Clinton. This, right? So a lot of these politicians, you look, they came into politics kind of poor or average. They're coming out with 100 million, 500 million dollar net worth. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is a great example, right? She chaired all these committees. Her husband's made 200 million dollar stock trading in the last, you know, 10-15 years magically receiving this information before everyone else does, why is it that the average trader stock market, you look, uh, Unusual Whales is a great Twitter account, they show every member of Congress because they do have to disclose their trades, on the average, the stock market lost 6% last year, the average Congress person made like 20%, right? Like there's only like six or seven members of Congress that were negative on their trades and almost all of them are trading stocks. So that's the main form of corruption: is using the system for personal gain. It's not so much as like a lot of these systems do have checks and balances, the justice system, you know, um, property. Those things are not necessarily. That's not the problem, right? Most of these cases, so and, and most of them, they're eventually going to get caught, right? Because if you if you one political party's in power, they'll support their own members to do his illegal stuff. But then the other party comes in power, they they usually hate each other enough that they'll expose it. So um, there are problems. It's not as severe that it's going to affect an individual, but it, it's just a lot of scraping money out of the system uh, in a corrupt way for individual gains. So
0: these are more mature forms of uh, corruption. Yeah. I hope people don't take ideas. Yeah, exactly. Here. yeah. Well,
2: I, 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 so I, you're... What you're saying is uh, blockchain or I'll not, say,
0: even if there is a blockchain...
2: That's not going to so fix what that. It's not going to fix that. Yeah, it doesn't fix that. If you have yeah, the agreement yeah. of, of, of multiple parties. Uh, the, the, the comedian... Um, um, oh, his name's Skippy. He's a very funny comedian. Uh, George Carlin, he, he died a number of years ago. Yeah. He said, you know, you don't have to have some agreed-upon conspiracy. People don't need to call each other to say, hey, we're going to do this on this day. If you have uh, mutually aligned incentives... The kind of the kind of the, the boats go with the waves already you know so these kind of things
1: the happen. Prisoner's dilemma.
2: so yeah i don't think blockchain is going to fix yeah. that uh because what blockchain yeah. could do is make it more transparent so people can figure it out and, and fight against it
1: mm-hmm. yeah you're saying something yeah. Yeah. Also, I should mention me and Tanmay are probably making India look bad. It's not that bad. I mean, it's gotten much better in the last few years. I mean, hey, our cryptocurrency exchanges are still liquid. So we are doing okay. It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's good.
2: That's good. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Look, I love India. I love India. Great country. I love to visit. Um so don't worry. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think yeah. a F- FTX sort of thing would happen in India?
1: Ishan? Uh So, I mean, it could, I mean, who's to say why it cannot. But then again, you probably would not have a cryptocurrency exchange of that side, size in India in the first place, given the mm-hmm. amount of regulations and the government taking a hawkish stance. So you would probably see founders who start an exchange of that size, probably uh, moving operations uh, abroad and setting it up over there. And this has happened. So Zeppe, one of the foremost uh, four Indian exchanges, they actually went offshore and set it up at Malda a couple of years back. And then uh, you had a lot of, so in the previous crypto crash, the 2018 crypto crash, you had a lot of. Uh, Indian cryptocurrency exchanges that went offshore because the government was cracking down on a lot of these Indian exchanges. So uh, I don't foresee Indian exchanges getting as big as FTX simply because of the regulations and the restrictions that are there, right? So it's very difficult to get a bank account if you're a cryptocurrency company in India. I mean, I know I've run Mm. a crypto exchange. It's very difficult to get a bank account. And if you can't get a bank account, you can't run business.
0: Hmm... You know, first interaction of ours was and that's when I had noted it down that I need to call Ishan and talk to him about blockchains and uh, implementation with government was the case of Tamil Nadu government, which you explained in land records uh, is the first use case. So what are the other things have been happening with Tamil Nadu government? And what have you heard about happening in different parts of India?
1: Uh, so it's still early days for a lot of governments. Uh, we have sort of been a pioneer in the space, definitely in India. Uh, very early on, we tried to, and we are still building this, so we tried to build a government equivalent of Ethereum. So essentially a blockchain protocol, which would have nodes uh, that would be owned by different government agencies or different government institutions and a few nonprofits as well to ensure checks and balances. It was... Very inspired by what Estonia is doing or what Europe is now doing with the EBSI infrastructure or what Singapore is doing through something called an open uh, search initiative. Uh, So the idea was that typically when you hear about governments implementing blockchain, these are essentially showcase projects, right? They go nowhere, they get implemented, they die after six months we wanted to build something robust that would service the citizens for a long time to come. So instead of focusing on one use case, we tried to build our own protocol stack similar to Ethereum or Polygon. And uh, we said that we'll use this protocol for various e-governance or government use cases. So be it land records, be it fake education certificates, be it other certificates, for example, demographic certificates issued by the government. So, all these use cases would be implemented on top of this platform. Uh, we also plan to open it up to startups in the future because uh, for a lot of uh, blockchain implementation, startups are kind of wary of going on public blockchains because to pay for gas, you need to buy crypto and it's uh, you end up doing liquidity management, right? Because you need to have uh, some crypto in stock to ensure you can pay for gas on your customers' behalf or uh, your customers can pay for gas, etc. So, we also plan to open up our network to a lot of startups and private sector enterprise so they can come and build uh, applications that benefit citizens on top of our protocol. So, yeah, that's what we are doing at Tamil Nadu.
0: Very interesting. You, talk, you spoke about the gas in the end. Who pays the gas in uh, government-run blockchains?
1: So there's no gas. There's no gas. because So the reason you have gas in Ethereum or Bitcoin is it's an anti-spamming mechanism and it's a way for miners and validators operating the network to get paid. In this case, obviously, people who run the nodes, they are government entities. So they are incentivized to run the network or they are non-governmental agencies that get grants, etc. to run their nodes, right? So they don't need a special incentive. And in terms of spamming of the network, so only uh, restricted people would be able to fire transactions on this network. So we uh, spamming is not a concern for us uh, right now.
0: No, but even if those trusted few individuals go rogue and they want to do something and it gets registered on the blockchain, how, point, yeah. what is the checks for that? So
1: we do have an anti-spam mechanism. I can't talk about it right now. That's a good point. We do have an anti-spam mechanism for that but I can't talk about it. Uh, don't... <laughs> you don't want to give yeah. ideas. Yeah. Yeah. To no, the it's officials. something I think that's, no, no, that's confidential. So I can't talk about yeah. what yeah. we are doing.
0: In yeah. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So uh, about different governments, have you heard anything uh, in different parts of India?
1: So uh, other parts of India. So, I mean, you have small, small initiatives with respect to uh, demographic certificates, education certificates, being carried out by various uh, government bodies around India. So, for example, Maharashtra, uh, then uh, Uttarakhand, Uttar Pradesh are carrying out some, uh, the central government, they are carrying out some initiatives. You also have a few supply chain initiatives. So, for example, the COVID uh, certificate, the vaccine certificate that was issued to everyone. Sure, it was in digital format, it was a PDF, but it was also secured with a blockchain on the back end. Uh, You also have a lot of uh, governments building these agriculture supply chain platforms, so seed tracking platforms, fertilizer tracking platforms and uh, farm to fork uh, platforms where if you are buying an organic product, you can trace what farm it came from, which farmer grew that product and so on and so forth. Uh, Telangana has an interesting use case where they have sort of been inspired by DeFi and they have managed to create what we would now call a DAO. So they've created this decentralized economy for uh, women entrepreneurs, right? So these are typically women who make like, I mean, you know, they make papad and they make other small homemade products and they sell it, right? So for them to have a banking product or to have a bank is very expensive. And it's not, uh, it doesn't make business sense for banks to provide them a product or service uh, for their group. So what they have done is they have tried out this experiment where they have used blockchain to create this decentralized economy where they can pay each other and pay their vendors and manage their financial records, etc. using blockchain. So that's again another interesting More like experiment. a
0: microfinance.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what governments in India have been doing.
0: Very interesting. Uh, This is, and can you just tell a bit more about what was, what you mentioned about Estonia and Singapore? What is happening there?
1: So, Estonia very early on understood the benefits of blockchain. So, this is in fact uh, one of the guys who was working in Estonia, as I understand, was a uh, peer and a contemporary of Satoshi. I mean, contemporary in the sense that he also uh, sort of hung around in the same groups. And uh, they have set up this decentralized ledger a long time back. I think they set this up in 2010. And almost uh, a large section of their public records are now secured with a decentralized ledger. So from uh, company registrations to identities to, uh, you know, small voting, not really large governmental voting, to finances, to the National Gazette, everything is secured with a blockchain. And in fact, if you go and search for e-Estonia, you will get to know more about the initiatives. one of the first uh, governments and countries to do this. Uh, In terms of Singapore, they did something interesting very early on. So they deployed a solution on the Ethereum blockchain called OpenSearch, which uh, universities in Singapore have been using to issue academic credentials on the blockchain. So basically, once you graduate from NUS, National University of Singapore, tokenized form. So like an NFT of your academic credentials gets issued on the Ethereum blockchain and you can hold it in your wallet. And if someone wants it, they can verify it from their wallet. So all universities in Singapore have been doing this for uh, some time now. I think it's been five to six years.
0: Very interesting. Um, One random question. What do you think about dating and blockchain?
1: Oh sure, definitely. Metaverse and dating.
0: Yeah. And get paid how, for how a can that be use there. case? Sorry. I,
1: I think Alex. I like, I've been speaking for quite some time. Probably Alex should take. I think.
2: I think the use case is you can look more attractive in the metaverse. <laughs>
1: yeah. Replace your Tinder so, profile pic with a BAYC. <laughs> That's a sure short, short way to get a right wifi I suppose.
2: Yeah, you need KYC, so you don't have. Um, uh, <laughs> cat- but then fishing. your records will <laughs> yeah.
0: exist. But yeah. then your records will exist. Right? How many people you dated <laughs> and what happened? Your dating yeah. history just get, will be there on the blockchain. Just get married, so you
2: <laughs> don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> don't tell Don't tell that to your girlfriend or to your wife, man. for a solution like that. Probably the biggest ICO you have seen ever.
0: (laughs) Okay. So what are your views on Metaverse?
1: So, I mean, I have been working in the Metaverse space for some time now. I think Alex should probably be an outsider probably. Uh, Yeah, Yeah.
2: I haven't done too much. I've done some events. Uh, I've participated in a couple of events. I think, again, we're very early. Uh, and I think the, the the bear market is a good place to to build. I think metaverse is going to lag a bit further behind because the way the economy is, it's, it's a very tight economy. A lot of big companies are doing layoffs. Um, you know, it, it's more people. I think are more going to be into gaming and things that already kind of fall back on than new new things like the metaverse. I do think that's going to come. I just think it might be five years down the road, uh, just because. I mean, right now, you know, when you have tons of extra money, you're trying to figure out new new things. In America, the majority of people now are trying to figure out how to, to make their budgets with inflation and, and so on. So um, yeah. I, I think the metaverse is going to come. I think it's going to be more entertainment-based, like artists like Snoop Dogg. Um, I, you know, I still think decentralized decentralized Sandbox. I think there's coming, but we're uh-huh. so early, it's... It's a bit too early. I wouldn't be putting any serious money or anything into metaverse yet. Um, I think we're very early. Uh, let's let's get a few more, you know, popular video games first. We're we're a long way away from from metaverse being a thing. I think it's going to come, but I think it's again, I think it's more realistic than blockchain voting. But we're we're still far away.
0: But companies like uh, F- Meta, Facebook, and all have been spending so much on this. They've been
2: spending. They've been losing. Uh, you know, they're going to be at the forefront. Google, Google, and Facebook are definitely going to be at the forefront. And I think they're going. I mean, but these companies build infrastructure ten years ahead of time. You know, twenty years ahead of time. We're looking at. I mean, I, I think they have got their own problems. The U.S. is going to have a battle, and Facebook is going to pay a lot of money because uh, they have a monopoly i think uh so i think it's a gamble in the future which they need because they, also their their whole business model was kind of upended uh with the new privacy laws so g- facebook uh, meta is, is losing i think hundreds of millions maybe billions of dollars in ad revenue um so it's it's a gamble for them i think there's a, a good chance that a decentralized kind of metaverse will be a viable competitor because more people want privacy meta Meta, Facebook is more like collecting all your data right so we'll see it'll be fun Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a serious I don't think it's a serious topic anytime this year
0: how are regular folks going to make money in metaverse
2: yeah I mean we're so far away I mean right now most people in crypto that showed up in 2020 has lost a lot of money most play to earn have really turned into Ponzi schemes so um yeah I think we're still at a stage of content creators like you and me still trying to figure out how to make money uh, on any Web 2, Web 3 platform. Um, It's going to have to be with a currency that's a lot more stable than than anything in crypto. Right. Stable coins, maybe Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, as they stabilize and mature. But most tokens and so on pump and they dump. So it's not um, a predictable form of income yet we're still going to need fiat or stable coins or, or you know, even Bitcoin, and Ethereum. Again, I, I accept them for payment, but I still, you know, for my bills, I convert them into to fiat.
0: All right. Ishan has been working in the metaverse. So tell uh, your views about metaverse and why are you still sticking around if it is so gloomy? So,
1: I mean, I partially, <laughs> Agree with what Alex is saying that, uh, I mean, obviously you I'm, not, you're early, I'm but, not totally gloomy, uh, okay? So, <laughs> two, yeah. so, so th- there are two interesting points of view on this. Uh, first is that uh, thanks to Meta acquiring Oculus and the big hype around Metaverses, something very interesting happened is that for the first time, you had a very cheap VR glass available, right? So the Quest 2 was the number one Christmas gift last last year in 2021 uh, the other thing is a lot of people so we uh, are unlike any other technology has much bigger uh, so bullish and bearish If that is what you want to call it but a lot of troughs of delusionment right so you have had a lot of people have been building in virtual reality for a long time and once the metaverse hype came through they were able to make good use of it so a good example is uh, uh, if you get your hands on a VR device, I would recommend you to check out something called VR Chat. I and mean, there's obviously a lot of things wrong with VR Chat, but in terms of a metaverse experience, it's everything you imagine a metaverse to be, right? So you can enter, you can drive a car, you can chat with a random person around the world. There are drinking parties on weekends. They have New York events. It's an extremely nice platform. And uh, the other thing is that uh, obviously, with COVID happening, a lot of organizations went digital and they realized oh, we need access to some sort of infrastructure where people can connect and collaborate remotely, uh, which is not a Zoom call, which is not a Google Meets call, right? So, uh, and a lot of people are still working remotely. So, that led to a lot of such platforms being created where uh, you now have people collaborating. Uh, you know, in like a virtual world and working on these whiteboards, etc. And uh, that's something really interesting that's contributed to meta- a lot of work being put into metaverses right now. The third thing is that uh, because we are probably uh, at the far end of the crypto bear market and uh, you are suddenly seeing a lot of AI chatbots now come up and be popular Not chatbots, chat, uh, chat GPTs, whatever you, conversational bots etc, are getting popular and you also have uh, a lot of mm-hmm. decentralized social media so uh, if you have heard of something called mastodon right which is a decentralized social media it's built on something called fediverse so uh, that's also something that's getting really popular because people want privacy and they don't they want to get away from twitter uh, so uh, so a lot of people are now trying to explore where the web is going and definitely blockchain will play a big role in it crypto will play a big role but there are also these missing components, right? And while people talk about Web3 being about ownership and privacy, uh, the fact of the matter is that Web 1.0 and Web 2.0 have been about the end customer experience. So static websites to these dynamic websites where you can enter data. So now everyone is trying to figure out what Web 3.0 would be for the end customer. So uh, a lot of people are suggesting that uh, spatial virtual spaces or immersive spaces would play an important role in that apart from obviously blockchain and crypto and uh, privacy preserving protocols and what have you, right? So uh, decentralized identities, etc. So uh, that is why I think metaverses are interesting right now. Uh, sure, uh, we are early sure a lot of people are building right now, but a lot of interesting stuff is happening. I mean, I would encourage you to look at what happened at CES this year, right? And the number of launches that have happened. A lot of people are silently building and, Things are getting cheaper, and definitely, interesting as things in? happen.
2: Okay, I look, so I, I, can I can be converted. I can be converted. I'll check it out.
1: Consumer. So, uh, they basically do an electronic festival where they. What, what show is the, the full form? In what
0: is the full form of CES?
1: I don't know the full form. It's a very popular consumer electronics festival. So, Samsung and all these large companies. Launched their products uh, in, on CES. It's CES 2023. You will find it if you search. Got it. it. So uh, these guys, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name. HTC has released a new VR glass that looks almost like uh, Ray-Ban goggles, right? Much lighter than the Quest, and it does some amazing stuff. And there are other people who are releasing body tracking. So, till now, when you enter a metaverse with VR glasses, It can only track your head and your hands. So now when you wear these chips that Sony is bringing out, it can track your legs as well, right? So you can walk, you can dance in the metaverse. It's really interesting, the stuff that is happening.
0: What do you think about...
1: um... Uh,
0: (laughs) Do you want to add something, Alex? I missed out the question what I was going to ask. Yeah um okay. Ishan do you want to what what are your thoughts about owning um, 3D assets which are on web3 for the metaverse right right now and in, in coming time
1: Uh probably doesn't make sense right now because uh, uh, the existing 3D asset formats are being overhauled so Nvidia announced they're going to be working with a format called USD uh, right, so previously the format was something called GLD for these 3D assets. Now they are uh, creating a mm. new format called USD, which is also something that Apple will support for its mixed reality glasses. So maybe the NF 3D asset NFT that you have today will not be valid tomorrow, right? So you sunk, sink in a lot of money into it, but it's useless tomorrow. So, and probably not right now.
0: Well, it can be converted, right? Like how we convert JP. GP- Yeah, yeah, definitely,
1: yeah, definitely, it can be converted, yeah.
0: (laughs) So when is this format coming out by?
1: It's already out. So the reason there's a big push for USD is because Apple supposedly will be using it in the mixed reality classes. So as with everything, Apple, they might end up defining the industry standards.
0: Mm -hmm. So yeah, so. Very interesting, yeah. Alex. Do you to add anything to this?
2: No, I'm good. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. I appreciate the dive into technology, and um, we'll be we'll be in touch on Twitter. Uh, definitely, I'll <laughs> follow Ishan. Sean, and, and
0: um, you know, well, one yeah. question. It's not one question. Uh, when do you think? And how is the bull market coming back?
2: Uh, I think we're going to see uh, interest rates starting to lower. And uh, the Bitcoin having in 2024, maybe anticipation at the end of 2023. I think there's some anticipation now. That's why there's a little relief in the markets, but uh, there needs to be liquidity. Uh, that's what mm-hmm. you know is going to cause stock market and, and crypto market to rise again. And that's currently the faucet is off. It's going to slowly turn back on, and that's that. So you know, I think um, you know, I'm a strong believer in in uh bitcoin ethereum a few other more risky assets i think uh now is a good time to dollar cost average accumulate in
0: so what is the call to actions for the listeners and viewers regarding crypto and? Uh, if you like
2: short commentary and quips and news to follow my twitter uh if, if you want full form uh you know um videos and and newsletters, uh, go to the latestblock.com, my website, sign up for the free newsletter. All the content's free. Uh, I haven't monetized anything yet. So while I figure that out, uh, take advantage of me and uh, follow (laughs) me. And uh, um, yeah, that's all I got.
0: Absolutely. Ishan, do you think if US sneezes, the whole, uh, if US gets cold, the whole world sneezes? So do you think, interest rates in U.S. affect uh, the bull market in India? or What are your views yeah, on yeah, I mean,
1: definitely. when and how no, bull market? It's not just crypto, right? It's all assets. It's not just crypto. So, like Alex said, that once the tap opens up, everything should fix itself. So, I mean, I can't comment on when that would happen. I guess Alex would have a better idea than me. But probably towards the end of the year or next year. Definitely not before that.
0: All right. So we have come to the end of two hours. Amazing session. Uh, thank you both for coming in and sharing your insights. What are some parting words would you like to share, tell to the audience?
2: Uh, you know, as an investor, keep educating yourself. There's so much to learn in this space, and it happens so quickly. Uh, smart to, to focus on education.
1: Ishan. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, keep researching, keep uh, following the interesting trends that are happening in the space. I mean, no one can predict what the next kitties will be, and uh, you never know where the technology is going. But surely, once we are out of this bearish cycle, we'll definitely be looking at some uh, new and interesting uh, applications of blockchain. Yeah, and uh, follow us on Quadlabs or Technology. We curate and publish a lot of content around metaverses and NFT. Probably uh, it's a good thing to read with your cup of coffee if uh, you want to know about metaverses.
0: Amazing. I'm going to be taking all the links from you and putting in the description so it's easier for the audience to find. Thank you all for taking time and joining
2: us. Thank you, Chanmai. Great show. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Tanmay.